Welcome to the Central Community Church Podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow Him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 10? Uh, We'll pick up where we left off last week. And uh, we were talking last week about the Good Shepherd. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And, And the main point that I wanted to make, because I think it's the main point in the text we looked at last week, is the emphasis of this passage is not on how how dumb the sheep are. I love talking about dumb sheep. I could do it all day long. Funny stories. Sheep are dumb. Yes, but that's not the emphasis of the passage. The emphasis of the passage is not on how, how dumb the sheep are, but how good the shepherd is. And so we're carrying on with that. There is a very good shepherd, a good shepherd who loves his sheep and cares for them in this rounded way. And so we concluded at the end of last week that with Jesus' words about him laying his life down, that he might take it up again. And that the Father loves him because he lays his life down. And that he has authority to take it up again. This charge, he says, he received from his Father. So he is making some bold claims about his divinity and about what would take place. So we pick it up in verse 19 where we left it off. So in response to this, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Good point. Verse 22, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. The Feast of Dedication um, was really something they were celebrating that happened in the intertestamental periods between the Old Testament and the New. Um, In the time of Maccabees, this was a a kind of a, a... Israel victory that they had in battle, and so it became one of their feasts that they celebrated this victory that they had, also known as the Festival of Lights, or most popularly known as Hanukkah. So at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. I want us here for a moment to talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, that Scripture is enough, that what we have recorded in God's Word is sufficient for us. Let me paint that picture a little bit. Because these people are coming to Jesus and saying, just make it really clear. Are you the Christ? Are you our rescuer? Are you the Messiah that we have been waiting for? Now, it's an interesting statement they make because Jesus is already years. He's at the tail end of his earthly ministry at this point. And he's healed the sick, given sight to the blind, fulfilled Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Right? Evidence pointing to his Messiahship was all over the place in his work. But they didn't want it. They didn't want to believe it. So they blamed Jesus for not being clear enough. And they said, just make it clear already. Are you the Christ? So like it says in this text, Jesus says, I've told you. I've told you plainly. I have told you and you don't believe. And I've shown you the works that I have done. The signs have been pointers to the legitimacy of 
my Messiahship. Yes, all of that is true. Now, as an aside, Jesus didn't go around and speak too often about the fact that he was the Messiah in that kind of language. He would take like, people aside, like the woman at the well, and let her know and speak to people that way. But, but he would oftentimes even tell people when he healed them to, to kind of keep it quiet. Because people assumed that the Messiah that was coming was going to be kind of in the line of David in the sense that he would be kind of a warrior, kind of a military general and would bring freedom to Israel as a nation, that he would push back the Romans and make them a great power again. And that's what they had in mind, but that's not what Jesus had in mind. So he was careful around the language of him being the Messiah, but his words that he did speak and the signs that he, the miracles he did commit, all were pointers to the fact that he was fulfilling the prophecies as the one that God always had in mind that would come and that would save. And so they're a little confused, but Jesus says, I've told you and I've shown you. Now, this is true of Scripture itself. If you were to look at John chapter 20, the second last chapter in John's gospel, he actually kind of gives his thesis statement for what he's trying to accomplish in this gospel. And here's what he says in John 20 verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs, John said, in the presence of the disciples. He did tons of other stuff which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now look, God, Jesus did tons of other things and said tons of other things. I could write book after book after book about all the things that Jesus did, but I'm writing you this, what is in my gospel. And this is the reason why we're in John's gospel for years as a church, is because what he's trying to accomplish, we're trying to accomplish. What John's trying to accomplish is this. In his gospel, he wants to show people that Jesus, yes, is the Son of God, and that by believing in Jesus, you can receive salvation. You can have life in his name. That's a great thing that John is desiring to accomplish, and he says, in this gospel, what I have written, I've left other stuff out, but what I have written is enough for those things. See, here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible isn't an exhaustive account of all things, but a sufficient account of necessary things. It's not an exhaustive account of all things, but it's a sufficient account of necessary things. What we need to know for life and godliness is included in God's Word, and it is sufficient. In other words, the redemption and revelation of Jesus is sufficient. His work and His Word are enough. He says it in this text in John 10, and it's demonstrated to us in the fact that the Word of God has stood the test of time of century after century after century of being able to point people to the truth that they may know Him. His work and His Word are enough. But you and I, in our doubts and in our disbelief, we often come like the crowd to Jesus. Just make it plain. Make it clear. Just show us this. what you've done so far, what you've said so far is insufficient. Tell us more. Give us more. We all have this knack for doing that. On Friday night, we had a little movie night at our house with our kids, and Emily set up like all these great snacks, including a bunch of candy. Like, not all of the candy, but like pretty good dose of candy, like more than our boys are used to getting, and they just devoured it all. It all. At one point, Emily and I looked at Walker, our youngest son, and he had the bowl that used to have like candy surrounded by sugar in them, and he just was tipping the bowl into his mouth of like the sugar, just like all that left was sugar, and he was eating it. And then they were like, can we have more? 
Can we have more? And we're thinking, like, you've had more than enough. You've had enough of this candy. Like, all, it's only going to get bad if you get more, right? But it's not just little kids and their desire for candy and not being able to stop themselves that is the issue. We're all like this. Over and over again, every few months, you know, Emily and I have a conversation. Six and a half years ago or so, Emily and I moved from Vancouver to Chilliwack, and we bought ourselves a townhouse. And every once in a while, we look out and we go, you know, two bedrooms is good. Four bedrooms would be better. Common area is super, but a fence yard would be better. And this, that, and a refrigerator that has ice come out of it. Those are so, so good. This house has that, and, you know, and, and we can go on and on, and, but and, like, we all have different places that we land. I'm not, I'm not trying to make a rule here. I'm just talking about our experience, and you start to do the math and the calculations on mortgages in this economy, and those numbers are scary numbers, right? And you're just figuring that out, but, and you kind of find your comfort level. And for us, just kind of over and over again in this stage, at this time, we just go, we look at what we have, and we say, you know what? It's enough. It's sufficient. In fact, it's more than we need. God's good. We have what we need. It is sufficient. We love our place. Let's stay. <laughs> and then a few months later, well, did you see that? We just do that. So, welcome to my world. Um, the Bible's the same way. There are these times in our lives where we're like, Jesus, just like paint it clearly in the sky, like paint it in the clouds. Just tell me a special word. Give me more. I, I, this isn't enough. Just make it clear. Just press it. Just show me. Just prove it. And over and over again, including John, the gospel writer, he says, everything you need to know that Jesus is the Son of God and that he saves, right here. It's if it, do we want more at times? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we want more. But actually, he's given us enough, and I think it's right. See, God can write it in the sky, yes. He could write the message of what you really want to know in the sky, but you know what the thing is? The wind comes and blows that away, and it's gone what he's written that you need to know for life and godliness about who Jesus is and that you can be safe here for all time. Sufficiency of scripture is made so clear in this text. Let's move on. I'm going to read verse 26 again. He talks about the fact that he's said enough and he's shown enough, but the reason in verse 26 that you do not believe is because you're not among my sheep. You're not mine. You don't hear. You don't follow. It's not enough because you're not actually my sheep. You're not of my fold. And he goes on in verse 27. My sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. I want to talk about um, how we hear from God here for a little while. And the reason I want us to talk about this is not so much that it, it's an emphasis in this text, but because it's an emphasis in our day, in our, in our kind of church culture, in North American Christianity and beyond, there is this kind of need for us to again remind ourselves of how we hear from God. The number one verse for those who are proponents of listening prayer is John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. I want, I want to read to you something, but before I do, I just want you to hear me. We're going to take a little bit of time on this. There's some nuance to this, okay? So, so we have to kind of look at this from a few different angles. So bear with me for a little bit. 
But I want us to talk about hearing from God, sort of this audible voice, listening prayer, God speaking, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, I want us to talk about it for a little while, and then we'll start to build on what we're talking about here. Here's a quote from a man who wrote about his experience with listening prayer. He says, I don't know about you, but for a long time, this verse bothered me, that my sheep hear my voice. I was supposed to be listening for his voice, but mostly all I heard was silence, he writes. My devotions were dry, routine affairs. I'd whip through a chapter in the Bible, I'd run down a list of prayer requests, and I'd check that part of my day off the list. Maybe you're like me. You grew up having monologues with God and have never before, never heard before that he wants to talk to you. You've not really learned how to hear his voice, he writes. Then he goes on. I remember the first time I heard his voice. I was desperate. I had been betrayed by someone very close to me and I needed to know that God cared. I asked him if he would share with me what he thought of me. The next thing that happened changed my life forever. God spoke inwardly to me in a way that might as well have been audible. He said, Seth, I love you. That did it. I was a junkie, ruined for anything that smacked of a tame, compromising faith. I shared with my children what they called praying the new way. One of them heard God say, I love you more than the flowers and the trees. After that, we all began to grow in our ability to listen. We would ask the Lord questions, then listen, and he often spoke. This is a phenomenon in the church today, listening prayer and hearing from God. Now, don't hear me knock hearing a voice from God because I've been there, okay? So let me start to set this up. I was in a real dark night of the soul in my life. I've told this story before. And just with all sincerity, one night pr crying out to God and saying, am I yours? Am I saved? Do you love me? Just kind of questioning in the midst of upheaval in my life. And the next morning as I was going down the side, a, a sidewalk in my neighborhood, uh, a man on a bicycle was going the other way. And as he passed by, he said, did you know the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and that he really cares? I was like, huh, I've never really cried out in such desperation to God before about whether he loves me and I'm his. And I've definitely not had like a middle-aged dude on a bike just tell it to me as, I'm, as he's crossing by. That's pretty awesome. Thank you, God. That's amazing. So look, I'm there. I, I believe God works in those ways and puts impressions on people's hearts and they, 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 they hear those things. Here's what concerns me. This is a man who's writing about a verse that says, my sheep hear my voice. And he said, but I'd never heard and I'd never been taught to hear God's voice. You know what's blatantly wrong about that statement? Is that every time he had heard the verse, including the verse, my sheep hear my voice, is that he had heard from God and his word. And that's primarily how God speaks to us. And so he talked about his devotional life being stale. He'd hammer through a chapter because that's what he's supposed to do. But he never really heard from God. See, here's what's going on underneath. What's going on underneath is that the Bible's the boring way to hear from God. It's the tired way to hear from God. But there's an exciting way to hear from God. That's, let him speak to you. Let him, let him whisper the I love yous to you because they're better than just reading the tired Bible. Like that, that, that is the posture of this. Now, I'm saying 
Can God speak? Amen. Yes and amen in, in audible ways. Two people bring encouragement. Through, and we're going to talk about prophecy in a minute. Yes. But I'm talking about a positional place that puts the whispers from God into our souls over and above the scriptures, which are, eh. Kevin DeYoung frames it this way. It's wonderful that evangelicals want an intimate relationship with God. But this good impulse often leads us to make wild claims that can't be substantiated by Scripture and, in fact, undermine the finished work of Christ. I'm thinking of people who make their sense of calling more important than the Word of God or the wisdom of the church. I'm thinking of denominational groups I've been a part of that claim to get their 10-year vision from God himself, which, of course, makes opposition to that vision tantamount to blasphemy. I'm talking about runaway bestsellers from devout good Christians, I imagine, that anchor biblical truths, that anchor them in life-after-death experiences or suggest that Jesus is writing special letters every day just for us. Is the Bible alone sufficient for salvation, for life, and for godliness as a Christian? Evangelicals say yes. We've always said yes. But then often live out no. Please don't fall for this temptation of our day in our Christian culture, which is, this is the tired, boring, old way. God wants to tell me the special things, the better things, the sweet nothings, the year specials, over and above his word comes practically for some of us. The Bible seems, when we're pressed in a scenario, insufficient. It's practical. I, just, I need a specific answer about what I'm supposed to do right here, right now. God, tell me what it is. And so it's practical. Sometimes we're just wanting more clarity, like these who approached Jesus and said, would you just clearly say it? Sometimes it's practical. And it does, the Bible doesn't seem clear enough, and so we press for it. Sometimes, it, to be honest, it's sheer laziness. It's a lot more work to open up the Word of God, understand it in its context, and allow it to press on you than it is to create a quiet space and beckon God to tell us things on our timing. Again, does God speak things to His people to share with others or for our own encouragement outside of the Scriptures themselves? Yes. But one of the scenarios I'm talking about is authoritative and one isn't. And this is the one that's authoritative. So my prayer for us as a church is for a renewal for the love for the Word of God and trusting in it. A love for this. Not just reading the chapter I feel like I'm supposed to read today and then get to the better thing. But a deep-seated Love for the Word of God that is our guide for faith and practice. May that be so for us. Now, I've asked the question or I've, I've, I've made the point how to hear from God. I want to give you a couple of the ways that we do that. Let me read from Hebrews chapter 1 in, in talking about how we hear from God. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, 
right, between his ascension and his return that will come. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So before Jesus, prophets in many ways and many times and many scenarios, God spoke in a multitude of ways. But today, in these last days, between his ascension and return, he speaks in one way. It's through his son, Jesus. So how to hear from God? Firstly, we hear from God through his son, Jesus. I'm helped by Andrew Wilson's writing on this, a British theologian. We hear from God through his son, Jesus. Well, how do we hear through his son, Jesus? Well, primarily through reading about Jesus and listening to his words in the Bible. See, the Bible is enough because the finished work of Jesus Christ is enough. There is no new revelation needed. What has been given in God's word is sufficient. In fact, the end of Revelation, the book of Revelation, tells us that there should be nothing added to this book. There aren't new and various ways that God speaks today. He speaks one way through his son, Jesus. Like I said in the previous point, the redemption and revelation of Jesus is sufficient. But in our day and our time, there are, there are people and there are groups and there are Christian leaders that actually are proponents of another way. Um, the new apostolic um, reformation, they're dubbed this way, or NAR, very catchy, um, um, is a group of really leaders in very influential non-denominational churches who believe themselves to be apostles, like Bible-style type apostles, meaning that there is new revelation. But the way that their new revelation works is that they'll read a verse out of context in the Bible and interpret it in a way that is beneficial to their setting and say, yeah, I know it's out of context in the Scriptures, but I'm an apostle, so there's authority to it. Many of you listen to the music that come out of churches like this. Very popular. But these are apostles, supposedly, who speak new truths, new revelation, a better hearing from God. Scripture's not enough. We need to hear these new words that God is giving us. It's a danger. It's a danger. And again, the only authoritative communion we have with God comes through encountering His Son Jesus in His Word, the Bible. So we hear from God through His Son Jesus by reading about Him in the Word. We hear from God through His Son Jesus by praying and living in ways He teaches us in the Bible. This summer we're going to do a, a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer because there's these disciples around. They're like, teach us to pray. How, how do we pray? And Jesus says, pray like this. And then He puts it on display and so we are to, in order to hear from Jesus, pray and live in the ways he teaches us in the Bible, follow that pattern and practice. We hear from God through his son Jesus by remembering the Lord's Supper. He says, don't give up doing this. Continue to do this in remembrance of me, keeping the gospel central. Continue this because you'll hear from Jesus in the sense that you will keep what's significant core. We'll hear from God through his son Jesus by being united with him through faith and baptism, through obedience to him. We will hear from Jesus as we go about being faithful. So there, I've said it, that the kind of reformed part in me is like, see, this is how God speaks through his son Jesus in his word, period, full stop, done. I'm comfortable. But there's another part of me now that has to add a layer of nuance because as I read things like the book of Acts, I go, yeah, but there's... Isn't there something 
else, like the prophetic and some other things that seem to be going on, that, that maybe we lose something if we simply say the only way Jesus speaks is through what's in here, period. This is the only, I'll say it again, this is the only authoritative word from God. This is it. Every other scenario that happens in our lives that we think is from God, that is His voice, has to go through the lens of what does the Bible say about it. That has to be it. And yet, if we really know our New Testament and read it well, we will see things happening that, that, that God seems to use, that seem to be a method that Jesus is using in the church. So I'll quote Andrew Wilson here when he's talking about what was happening in the church of Acts, uh, the book of Acts in the church. He talks about a church is praying together and God speaks to them. A missionary decision has to be made and a man pops up in a vision and sends Paul and Silas to Greece. Prophets predict famines and the capture of their leaders. The gift of the Spirit completely changes the decision-making process in the early church. Listen to this. At the start of Acts, everyone is drawing lots to make decisions. But after Pentecost, nobody is. Pentecost is really the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave. It's better that I go, Jesus said, and that I leave the helper with you, the Holy Spirit. It's better that that happens. So people are anointed with the Holy Spirit, and they go from drawing lots to make decisions to be, that being replaced by hearing God's voice. Now, when we talk about hearing God's voice, again, that Jesus' sheep hear his voice, primarily what we ought to think of is not special whispers between me and Jesus. Primarily what we ought to think of is what God says through his son Jesus, through his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's how John's gospel begins. Jesus is the word of God, and we find everything that we need in God's word. But then we see scenarios going on where God is using the Holy Spirit to impress Jesus' words on people in special ways. So there are some important questions we need to ask as we apply this. Here's some questions we should think about. If we are still in the last days, which we are, and if our lives and our churches today are supposed to look like the book of Acts, I believe they are, with people prophesying, seeing visions and so on, then what checks and balances are in place to stop it from going wrong? That's an important question. What can we do to ensure we're hearing from God and not making stuff up? These are important questions. So let me read to you Acts chapter 2, where the apostle Peter says, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there are these gifts, these prophetic um, gifts and visions and dreams that will happen and it will lead people to salvation. So additionally, from hearing God in the Scriptures, we hear from God through prophecy, which should be tested. And when I say additionally, I don't mean other than Jesus. I mean that Jesus uses this as a way to speak to His church, and it ought to be tested. The clear way is through the Word, and so we need to kind of talk about this. So I personally am not a cessationist, which means I don't believe that the prophecy and healing and tongues gifts ended when, with, the, with the original apostles' ministry. That when they died, that, this, that these gifts ceased. I, I don't. Some of you do, and, and I'm not going to quibble about it. Um, you'll, you'll figure it out eventually that I'm right. No. Um, but, but, but so this isn't a major, major issue, but I, I do believe that the gifts have not ceased. But here's the thing. Here's my caution. The abuses of these things, 
the overemphasis on some of these gifts where if you've ever been in that crowd where there's the overemphasis on them, you're like, where's Jesus in the mix of all of this? You seem to be really amped up about, you know, feathers falling from the sky and gold dust appearing. You super, but like, where's Jesus in this miraculous Right? And, and so these are things that ought to be tested because we've seen the abuses, we've seen the overemphasis, we've seen the derailing of the gospel for the spectacle. Makes me cautious about proper emphasis, right? I mean, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we've seen the people who make outlandish claims saying that God told them and all of us want to just distance ourselves from that and be like, That's, I'm not with them. I'm not with them, right? Because it's, it's just some of the stuff is absolutely ludicrous and yet we see that God gives these gifts and that we are to test them faithfully. So here, if, you, if you're a note taker, maybe take note of this line because I think it's part of the crux. Yes, God speaks primarily through His Son, Jesus, through the Word. But when we're talking about prophecy, here's what I want you to write down. Modern prophecy only functions well in a climate of biblical literacy. Modern prophecy only only functions well in the climate of biblical literacy. And unfortunately, what's happened is that there ha- is many, in many places, there is an emphasis on the prophetic that's not rooted in the Word of God, and it is going way off the rails. And of course, we need to shield, guard from that danger. So much false teaching takes place through so-called prophets that's way off because it's not rooted in the Word of God. So we hear from God through prophecy, which should be tested. Well, how do we test those things? Well, I think I've made it clear already, but I'll just reiterate it again. We test them against the Scriptures. We evaluate modern prophecy by the Word of God, not the Word of God by modern prophecy, right? We're tempted to focus on the exciting, the Word what we think we heard from God, and we emphasize on our prophetic Word over God's Word. That ought never be the case. We evaluate modern prophecy by the Word of God, not the Word of God by modern prophecy, which unfortunately is pervasive today, and much of it isn't what the New Testament teaches. If someone says that God told them to leave his wife and run off with another woman, we recognize that he's been deceived because God's Spirit won't contradict what he said in the Word. No, 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 no. God didn't tell you that. You just really want to do that. Don't put the God told me thing or pretend it's a vision because it goes contrary to the Word of God which just will not, does not happen. We have to root in the Word, test it against the Scriptures. We can also test against what we know of Jesus. Just what we know of Jesus. Is it arrogant, this Word? Is it lustful? Is it greedy? Is it divisive? See, we can run it through these filters of what we know of Jesus. Thirdly, this is an important one as well. We can test prophecy, these words spoken in some avenue to people. We can test them by leaders. They can be tested by leaders in the church and the congregation. Now, you and I both know that those who lead in the church aren't infallible. But the New Testament describes them as those who guide and teach the church. The Apostle Paul talks a great deal about the responsibility of leaders to correct those who are speaking and teaching things not consistent with the Scriptures. They are given that instruction to do that, to safeguard, to shepherd, to protect the congregation from those things. So test those with leaders in the church, this word from God. Happy to do that with you. It's also the job of the congregation at large. That we, are, we are instructed in the New Testament to weigh and to judge prophecy. 
And there are some really helpful questions for us to ask around this. Many, many of you, uh, this isn't even an issue. Like, Matt, you don't realize how Mennonite I am. I don't even know why you're giving me these instructions. Like, you don't know how Dutch I am, Matt. Like, like don't even worry about how we test all these things. I'm not, like, <laughs> I say that facetiously, but some of us are just so distant from the prophetic, and, and that's fine. But it's really helpful for us to just have a filter, have, have, have a, I have offended like not 90 people. All right, so, um, myself included. There's discomfort here. But I think that there's these really helpful questions for us to ask so that we don't quench the Holy Spirit. So a question to ask when we hear these words that supposedly are from God, does it cause people to rebel against God and serve idols? Probably not from God. Let me give you an example. The prosperity gospel is ravaging the continent of Africa right now. So is the continent of Africa like 90% Christian? Yeah. But it's like pervasive with a false gospel called the prosperity gospel. There are preachers in Africa who go to the poorest of the poor in the world and say, you don't have enough faith. God wants you to be rich. Give everything you have. He's going to give it back a hundredfold. Don't you have enough faith? Why aren't you giving? Give to the Lord. It's a prosperity gospel. The preacher is patting his own kingdom on the backs of those in the most poverty on the planet. You don't have enough faith. Have some faith. Give what you can. The Lord will bless you. He doesn't want you to be poor. You must not have enough faith. You're poor. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to have a private jet like I do. Give more. Literally. Literally. The question we have to ask against the Scriptures about false teaching, about words supposedly from God that are greater and better than the Word of God is does it cause people to rebel against God and serve idols? Another question to ask, the positive, does it cause people to see Jesus as Lord? Does it edify Christians and cause unbelievers to worship God? Then it's from the Holy Spirit. And that's from Jesus. This is an important word for me. I think it's an important word for you. It's an important word for us as a church. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. This is so helpful for me because there's a temptation in me to right, have control. Right? There's a little discomfort in you know, some, of the, the, some of the prophetic. And so like, there is a temptation. Quench the Holy Spirit to despise prophecies. Some of us go there. Man, that person's nuts. But no, it, it seems to be edifying and encouraging to people, and it seems faithful. Don't be so quick to say that guy's nuts. We might finally, at the end of it, all say, yeah, that guy's nuts. Yeah, no, actually, he was nuts. Yeah, sorry. But let's not start there. Let's test. Let's weigh. It gives us the warnings. Test everything and hold fast what is good. But let's not quench the Holy Spirit in this place from doing the work that only He can do. Mighty work that we see in the book of Acts that leads people to repentance, that people are added to their number daily because they're so given to following after Jesus. If those gifts are working and we're just loving Jesus all the more, hearing from Jesus all the more, and is loving the Word all the more, that He is saving sinners and drawing people to Himself and drawing us in worship, then may we not be the people who quench that but who asked God to bring us more even all the while while we submitted under God's word. I guess what I'm calling for is a little bit of Pentecostalism, a wise Pentecostalism. Three of you are with me. Amen, amen. 
but I hope you hear it, right? This is almost like a little bit of class here this morning. There's, there's some filters by which we need to use wisdom, God-given wisdom, wisdom in the body to discern these things and to recognize that ultimately God speaks through his son Jesus and he speaks to us through his word and his word is sufficient. Let's move on to the final part. 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. These few verses are so, so rich. All week long I was going into pastor's office after pastor's office being like, where do I go? Like the the unity of the Father and the Son in this text is so rich. I and the Father are one. They're in my grasp and they're in the Father's grasp and there's this unity there's this trinity going on, right? And then there's the fact that there are those who don't hear because they're not his sheep. And if they were his sheep, well, then they'd hear. And I'm not even going to name what we're talking about there because it'll raise some antenna but for people. But like, there's this, this whole scenario of who's saved and, and who hears. Why are they of his sheep? Why are they of his fold? And so there's warning in this text, but there's also, I, I hope you hear it in the fact that no one can be snatched out of his hand, that there is such promise and assurance in this text as well. It's so, so rich. It's meant to be an encouragement, and yet there is a word of warning. The word of warning is that those who are not of the fold of Jesus just won't hear. The Bible won't be enough. They won't be filled with the Spirit and they won't have a move of the Spirit in their life that transforms them, that sanctifies them because they're not of His fold. They're not His sheep. They don't hear. They don't know. They don't notice the signs because they're not a sheep. There are people in this world and in all likelihood in this room who are not His sheep. But not so with those who are His sheep. Those who are His sheep hear His voice. He knows them and they follow Him. So I'm going to give a little bit of warning, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to focus it on uh, by way of encouragement and hope and opportunity for us in the Lord. First of all, we see that his sheep have a couple markings. Those of you who are farmers, you need to differentiate your animals from others. And so typically branding is used. And so there are, there are two kind of places where Christ's sheep are branded. And one is on the ear and one is on the foot. The reason is because Christ's sheep hear his voice, hear the voice of Jesus. They're branded on the ear and they follow Jesus. They're branded on the foot. Jesus' sheep are distinct that way. They hear him and they follow him. That's what they do. That's what they do. Now the question we ask in this moment, well, am I in the clutches, the grip of God? Has he got me and is he giving me assurance or am I not, right? And I'm not trying to cause people not to have sound faith. So I'm going to give you some really clear questions that you can answer for yourself that should be of great encouragement or should be an opportunity for you today for the first time to trust in the Lord Jesus. Hope, hope, hope all over the place. Here's a question. Do you have a present trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? Do you have a present trust in Jesus for salvation? This is an important question. Well, yeah, I prayed a prayer in 1993 and then nothing changed in my life. Well, that sounds like you had something in 1993 that was some sort of something. But my question is, do you have a present trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Are you trusting in him today? Is he your hope? Is your trust in him? Because 
That is an important question to ask. Here's a little bit of a morbid question. I'm not trying to be fire and brimstone here. I'm just creating a scenario for you. If you were to die today, stand before the judgment seat of God, and he were to ask you, well, why would you enter my eternal kingdom for all eternity? What in that moment will, will prompt you? What, what's the thing you're about to say in that moment? Would you start to think of your good deeds and depend on them? Well, Lord, I did this, and I did that. Didn't you see when I did this and I, I did all these great things? Would, would you begin to depend on who you are, what you did, your good deeds? Or would you, without hesitation and reservation, say that you're depending on the merits of Jesus on your behalf? My question is, do you have a present trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? If you do, when you, when you stand before God someday, at the gates of eternity, you say, yes, Lord, because I've trusted in Jesus for my salvation. I could never merit it, never on my account. And so I put my hope in him. He's who am I trusting in today. If that's your answer, praise God. You're smelling like a sheep. Another question we can ask is, is there evidence of a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Is there evidence of a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your heart? See, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, you will be growing in character traits that the Apostle Paul calls fruit of the Spirit, right? Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You'll grow in these things. Now, if you're anything like me, your growth in these things is like almost depressing. It's like you're growing like, like this, and you look over at like, you know, the guy over there, and he's like just like going like this. Like his growth is exponential. You're like, are you, Jesus? You are so, uh, uh, you're so nice. You're so good. You're so faithful, right? That's horrible. Um, but just like slowly, but so slow, incremental. But yeah, like I look at it, and I'm like, five years ago, I would have freaked on that guy. I was like kind of patient. Oh, thank you, Lord. I was only slightly annoyed. I, and you're still working on me. I can't wait to what, for what you're going to do in me. Is there evidence of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Con- Here's another one, important one. Are you continuing to believe the major doctrines of the faith? Over and over again in the New Testament, we, we see this painted, that, that, that you haven't moved past the gospel. You're still relying on Jesus, the work that he accomplished on your behalf for salvation. You're relying on him. And, and, and you're continuing to hold these major doctrines of the church, of the faith, the historic doctrine, because you love Jesus. You're not swaying from Jesus. Your focus is on the gospel, and you still continue to believe the major doctrines of the faith. You have not capitulated to them. Are you obeying his commands? Not perfectly, but are you obeying his commands? First John talks about this, that there's this growing joy in following Jesus and doing what he calls you to do. Not perfectly, still a sinner, saved by grace, but starting to find more and more joy in following after Jesus and doing what he says and recognizing that his ways, yes, are best. Do you see long-term growth in your Christian life? This is a helpful question for me. Because when I look at the minute, when I, when I zoom in real close, I go, I'm not changing. I'm not growing. Oh, no. But then when I take the long look, like I said, oh, yeah, five years ago. Ah, ah, wow, thank you, Lord, for you, you're doing a work in me. I see it. I, I see the growth. And others maybe mention it from time to time as well, which is helpful. Wow, I've seen your growth in this. Oh, really? Wow, thank you. These are helpful for us to ask. And if your answer to those questions are, no, no, I I haven't. I don't have a present hope in Jesus. I I don't have a present trust in Jesus. Then I invite you to that this morning. Be a sheep in his fold. 
be branded on the ear and on the foot, that you'll hear Jesus, love Jesus, and follow Jesus. Because if you will, there is such a beautiful hope in this text. Jesus, this good shepherd, we talked about all these rounded ways that he's good, says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus, the good shepherd says. Nobody. But then he doubles down. He says, and my Father, who is greater than all. Who's stronger than God? Nobody. Who's greater than God? Nobody. If God has you in his grip and he's never letting you go, nobody can snatch you out of God's hand. Sounds like you're pretty secure. Sounds like you can have quite the assurance and hope. Let me paint that picture for you for a moment, then we'll close. Um, a couple summers ago, we were uh, on a vacation, and we were with my family. We were exploring these 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 cliffs, and there were all these drop-offs everywhere, and these cool holes and like tunnels and uh, all kinds of neat things. And we were exploring them. And my oldest son is quite adventurous, so he was trying to like run all over the place. And I was seeing these cliffs, and uh, his 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 death, uh, like if he took the wrong step. And so I'm I'm just like, hey, buddy, like hold on to me, stay close to me. Like you need to stay close to me. I don't want you to fall. You could get hurt. This is. This is cool, but super dangerous. So, like, just stay close, right? And, and I started that way. And then we got to some places where literally, like, we're on an edge and I'm really nervous. And so rather than say, buddy, hold on to me, I reached out my hand and said, but I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to make sure that you don't fall. What's the better approach? Is it the instruction, hey, hold on to, don't let go of Jesus, you guys. Don't let go of God. Don't let your grip off God. Cling to him tight. You might lose your grip. Or, God's got you in his hand. He's never going to let it go. That's what he promises. God's got you in his hand. He loves you. God has you, who's greater than all, and he's never letting you out of his hand. That's better. And dads, take note. Like, you grab your son. Don't get him to... Anyways. All right. Um, my, my mom's out visiting this weekend, and so it's good to throw a mom story in as we close as well. When I was born and uh, my mom was leaving the hospital the next day, um, she had me all swaddled up and was going to the car and a bee was flying around. Gorgeous, gorgeous baby, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so great. And uh, as she was going there, what she didn't do with the bee flying around was, don't get stung, son. Don't get stung. I mean, I couldn't have because I was so swaddled up. But e- either way, I was so young wasn't about to stop that bee. But that's not what my mom did. Didn't tell the infant son, watch out for that bee. Stop that bee. Don't get stung. But what she did is she protected me from the bee. She got in the way. And wouldn't you know, is my mom was taking me out of the hospital, taking me home, taking me to the car. She covered me. And she was stung. So that I wouldn't be. So to be the super cheesy preacher for a moment, I want to say this. Jesus was stung so that you wouldn't have to be. He took the sting of death. He's got you in his grip. He's accomplished everything necessary for your salvation. And he says, I'm never letting you go. Have assurance in that. This good shepherd and this great father love you and have you in their grip. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this promise. Thank you for the assurance that we can have of salvation.
by trusting in you and recognizing, yes, today, Lord, my present hope is put in you. I need you. I love you. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, if there are those in the room who have never done that, never placed their hope there, Lord, if you're nudging them and calling them, draw them to yourself. Bring them into the fold. Lord, I pray that those among us this morning who have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation would turn to you. You are so, so good, and we thank you for that, Lord. I pray that as a church that you would protect us from idolatry, Lord, that you would protect us from false teaching. Lord, would you give us such a hunger for your word? Would there be such a renewal here, Lord, that we find such deep ah, joy in meeting you in your word? And Lord, would we recognize too that you want to work and move among us? Would you give us great wisdom in following after you in your call? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.